Welcome to Lost in Revision. All of our content is public domain, literature, fairy tales, and folklore. Our goal is to at least break even to cover our expenses. So any support that you can offer to help us reach that goal helps keep this podcast going and you entertained. All of our music is by Nathan Hubble and is used with his permission. Thanks and enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Lost in Revision, where we still have no idea what we're doing, but it sure is fun figuring it out together. I'm Natalie, and I'm joined by Angel and Polly. Angel's joining us from Texas, the birthplace of Dr. Pepper. Shout out to Waco for that. And another shout out to Rachel, who has been addicted to Dr. Pepper for at least the past 31 years, from my personal knowledge. Hi, Angel. How are things? Things are great. And also, I want to shout out to Rachel. Hey, Rachel. <laughs> and Polly is joining us from the birthplace of Mountain Dew. I don't know of any Mountain Dew addicts to shout out to. Oh, just shout out to all the code monkeys out there. <laughs> hey, code monkeys. Glad you joined us. How are things in your neck of the woods, Polly? Mountain Dew was invented in the mountains. I live in the swamps where apparently all the roads were built by moonshiners running from the G-Man and Buford Pusser. Did you know Mountain Dew was created as a mixer to make moonshine taste better? I was a Mountain Dew addict as a teenager, but I gave it up for something with more caffeine. More? <laughs> more than Mountain Dew? Oh, dear Lord. Is this the part <laughs> where I jump in and say that you're a monster? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. My, my dad jokes are bad today. Dad jokes aside, are y'all ready to get started with Beauty and the Beast? Sure. Let's get this puppy on the road. <laughs> Why don't you get us started with the cultures that this story developed in? It was originally written by French novelist Gabrielle Suzanne Barbeau de Villeneuve and published in 1740 in La Jeune Américaine et les Contes Marines, or The Young American and Marine Tales. It was later abridged and republished by Jean-Marie Le Prince de Beaumont in 1756 in Magazine des Enfants, or Children's Collections, in the version most people recognize. Later, Andrew Lang retold the story again in the Blue Fairy book in 1889. Much like Cinderella, it has multiple versions throughout history and around the world, including ancient Greek and Italian, but one version stands out as the one. She loses siblings with each retelling. <laughs> well, to be honest, most of the siblings were worth losing. The sisters were stepsisters from Cinderella clones, and the brothers were just sort of background chorus with no real characterizations. Though having the sisters there to be awful does allow the father to not seem quite as spineless about sending Beauty to be the sacrifice in his place. I think Beauty was going to go whether her father sent to her not sent her or not. She was kind of stubborn that way. I suspect that the sisters were turned into the village girls in the Disney animated version. And the brothers probably were turned into the men in the pub during Gaston's soliloquy. <laughs> Which fits <laughs> and gives interesting nuance to those characters. <laughs> yeah. You know, as soon as Beauty knew her dad was in danger, she was going. It did strike me as funny that all of the stories had Beauty in a large family and Disney was like, nah, too much drama. <laughs> so let's move on to the reading of the story to let everyone get caught up. And then we can discuss some of the details of it and our thoughts. Oh, no one knows me half as well as you did that day. Ooh, 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 ooh. Beauty and the Beast by Marie Le Prince de Beaumont. 
there once was a very rich merchant who had six children three sons and three daughters being a man of sense he spared no cost for their education but gave them all kinds of masters his daughters were extremely handsome especially the youngest when she was little everybody admired her and called her the little beauty so that as she grew up she still went by the name of beauty which made her sisters very jealous the youngest as she was handsome was also better than her sisters the two eldest had a great deal of pride because they were rich they gave themselves ridiculous airs and would not visit other merchants daughters nor keep company with any but persons of quality they went out every day upon parties of pleasure balls plays concerts etc and laughed at their youngest sister because she spent the greatest part of her time in reading good books as it was known that they were to have great fortunes several eminent merchants made their addresses to them but the two eldest said they would never marry unless they could meet with a duke or an earl at least beauty very civilly thanked them that courted her and told them she was too young yet to marry but chose to stay with her father a few years longer all at once the merchant lost his whole fortune excepting a small country house at a great distance from town and told his children with tears in his eyes they must go there and work for their living the two eldest answered that they would not leave the town for they had several lovers who they were sure would be glad to have them though they had no fortune but in this they were mistaken for their lovers slighted and forsook them in the poverty as they were not beloved on account of their pride everybody said they do not deserve to be pitied we are glad to see their pride humbled let them go and give themselves quality airs in milking the cows and minding their dairy but added they we are extremely concerned for beauty she was such a charming sweet-tempered creature spoke so kindly to poor people and was of such an affable obliging disposition nay several gentlemen would have married her though they knew she had not a penny but she told them she could not think of leaving her poor father in his mis misfortunes but was determined to go along with him into the country to comfort and attend him poor beauty at first was sadly grieved at the loss of her fortune but she said to herself were i to cry ever so much that would not make things better i must try to make myself happy without a fortune when they came to their country house the merchant and his three sons applied themselves to husbandry and tillage and beauty rose at four in the morning and made haste to have the house clean and breakfast ready for the family in the beginning she found it very difficult but she had not been used to work as a servant but in less than two months she grew stronger and healthier than ever after she had done her work she read played on the harpsichord or else sung whilst she spun on the contrary her two sisters did not know how to spend their time they got up at ten and did nothing but saunter about the whole day lamenting the loss of their fine clothes and acquaintance do but see our youngest sister said they one to the other what a poor stupid mean-spirited creature she is to be contented with such an unhappy situation the good merchant was of a quite different opinion he knew very well that beauty outshone her sisters in her person as well as her mind and admired her humility industry and patience for her sisters not only left her all the work of the house to do but insulted her every moment the family had lived about a year in this retirement when the merchant received a letter with an account that a vessel on board of which he had effects was safely arrived this news had liked to have turned the heads of the two eldest daughters who immediately flattered themselves with the hopes of returning to town for they were quite weary of a country life and when they saw their father ready to set out they begged of him to buy them new gowns caps rings and all manner of trifles but beauty asked for nothing for she thought to herself that all the money her father was going to receive would scarce be sufficient to purchase everything her sisters wanted 
"'What will you have, Beauty?' said her father. "'Since you are so kind as to think of me,' answered she, "'be so kind as to bring me a rose, "'for as none grow hereabouts, they are kind of rarity.' "'Not that Beauty cared for a rose, "'but she asked for something, "'lest she should seem by her example "'to condemn her sister's conduct, "'who would have said she did it only to look particular.' The good man went on his journey, but when he came there they went to law with him about the merchandise, and after a great deal of trouble and pains to no purpose, he came back as poor as before. He was within thirty miles of his own house, thinking of the pleasure he should have in seeing his children again, when going through a large forest he lost himself. It rained and snowed terribly. Besides, the wind was so high that it threw him twice off his horse, and night coming on, he began to apprehend being either starved to death with cold and hunger, or else devoured by the wolves whom he heard howling all around him, when, on a sudden, looking through a long walk of trees, he saw a light at some distance, and going on a little further, he perceived it came from a palace illuminated from top to bottom. The merchant returned God thanks for this happy discovery, and hasted to the palace, but was greatly surprised at not meeting with anyone in the outcourts. His horse followed him, and seeing a large stable open, went in, and finding both hay and oats, the poor beast, who was almost famished, fell to eating very heartily. The merchant tied him up to the manger, and walked toward the house, where he saw no one, but entering into a large hall, he found a good fire, and a table plentifully set out, with no one, with but one cover laid. As he was wet quite through with the rain and snow, he drew near the fire to dry himself. I hope, said he, the master of the house or his servants will excuse the liberty I take. I suppose it will not be long before some of them appear. He waited a considerable time till it struck eleven, and still nobody came. At last he was so hungry that he could stay no longer, but took a chicken and ate it in two mouthfuls, trembling all the while. After this he drank a few glasses of wine, and growing more courageous, he went out of the hall and crossed through several grand apartments with magnificent furniture till he came into a chamber which had an exceeding good bed in it and as he was very much fatigued and it was past midnight he concluded it was best to shut the door and go to bed it was ten the next morning before the merchant waked and as he was going to rise he was astonished to see a good suit of clothes in the place of his own which were quite spoiled certainly said he this palace belongs to some kind fairy who has seen and pitied my distress. He looked through a window, but instead of snow saw the most delightful arbors, interwoven with the most beautiful flowers that ever were beheld. He then returned to the great hall, where he had supped the night before, and found some chocolate ready-made on a little table. "'Thank you, good Madam Fairy,' said he aloud, "'for being so careful as to provide me a breakfast. I am extremely obliged to you for all your favors.' The good man drank his chocolate, and went to look for his horse, but passing through an arbor of roses, he remembered Beauty's request to him, and gathered a branch on which were several. Immediately he heard a great noise, and saw such a frightful beast coming towards him, that he was ready to faint away. "'You are very ungrateful,' said the beast to him in a terrible voice. "'I have saved your life by receiving you into my castle, and in return you steal my roses, which I value beyond anything in the universe. But you shall die for it. I give you but a quarter of an hour to prepare yourself, to say your prayers.' The merchant fell on his knees and lifted up both his hands. "'My lord,' said he, "'I beseech you to forgive me. Indeed, I had no intention to offend in gathering a rose for one of my daughters, who desired me to bring her one. 
My name is not my lord, replied the monster, but beast. I don't love compliments, not I. I like people should speak as they think, and so do not imagine I am moved by any of your flattering speeches. But you say you have got daughters. I will forgive you, on condition that one of them come willingly and suffer for you. Let me have no words, but go about your business, and swear that if your daughter refuse to die in your stead, you will return within three months. The merchant had no mind to sacrifice his daughters to the ugly monster, but he thought, in obtaining this respite, he should have the satisfaction of seeing them once more, so he promised upon oath he would return, and the beast told him he might set out when he pleased. But, added he, you shall not depart empty-handed. Go back to the room where you lay, and you will see a great empty chest. Fill it with whatever you like best, and I will send it to your home. And at the same time Beast withdrew. Well, said the good man to himself, if I must die, I shall have the comfort, at least, of leaving something to my poor children. He returned to the bedchamber, and finding a great quantity of broad pieces of gold, he filled the great chest the Beast had mentioned, locked it, and afterwards took his horse out of the stable, leaving the palace with as much grief as he had entered it with joy. The horse, of his own accord, took one of the roads of the forest, and in a few hours the good man was at home. His children came around him, but instead of receiving their embraces with pleasure, he looked on them, and holding up the branch he had in his hands, he burst into tears. "'Here, beauty,' said he, "'take these roses, but little do you think how dear they are like to cost your unhappy father.' and then related his fatal adventure. Immediately the two eldest set up lamentable outcries, and said all manner of ill-natured things to Beauty, who did not cry at all. "'But do see the pride of that little wretch,' they, said they. "'She would not ask for fine clothes, as we did, but no, truly, Miss wanted to distinguish herself, so now she will be the death of our poor father, and yet she does not so much as shed a tear.' "'Why should I?' answered Beauty. It would be very needless, for my father shall not suffer upon my account, since the monster will accept one of his daughters. I will deliver myself up to all his fury, and I am very happy in thinking that my death will save my father's life, and be a proof of my tender love for him. No, sister, said her three brothers, that shall not be. We will go find the monster, and either kill him or perish in the attempt. Do not imagine any such thing, my sons, said the merchant. Beast's power is so great that I have no hopes of your overcoming him. I am charmed with Beauty's kind and generous offer, but I cannot yield to it. I am old and have not long to live, so can only lose a few years, which I regret for your sakes alone, my dear children. Indeed, father, said Beauty, you shall not go to the palace without me. You cannot hinder me from following you. It was to no purpose all they could say. Beauty still insisted on setting out for the fine palace— and her sisters were delighted at it, for her, for her virtue and amiable qualities made them envious and jealous. The merchant was so afflicted at the thoughts of losing his daughter that he had quite forgot the chest full of gold. But at night, when he retired to rest, no sooner had he shut his chamber door than, to his great astonishment, he found it by his bedside. He was determined, however, not to tell his children that he was grown rich, because they would have wanted to return to town, and he was resolved not to leave the country. But he trusted Beauty with the secret, who informed him that two gentlemen came in his absence and courted her sisters. She begged her father to consent to their marriage and give them fortunes, for she was so good that she loved them and forgave them heartily all their ill usage. These wicked creatures rubbed their eyes with an onion to force some tears when they parted with their sister, 
but her brothers were really concerned. Beauty was the only one who did not shed tears at parting because she would not increase their uneasiness. The horse took the direct road to the palace, and towards evening they perceived it illuminated as at first. The horse went of himself into the stable, and the good man and his daughter came into the great hall, where they found a table splendidly served up and two covers. The merchant had no heart to eat, but Beauty endeavored to appear cheerful, sat down to table, and helped him. Afterwards thought she to, thought she to herself, Beast surely has a mind to fatten me before he eats me, since he provides such a plentiful entertainment. When they had supped they heard a great noise, and the merchant, all in tears, bid his poor child farewell, for he thought Beast was coming. Beauty was sadly terrified at his horrid form, but she took courage as well as she could, and the monster, having asked her if she came willingly, "'Yes,' said she, trembling. "'You are very good, and I am greatly obliged to you, honest man. Go your ways to-morrow morning, but never think of returning here again. Farewell, beauty.' "'Farewell, beast,' answered she, and immediately the monster withdrew. "'Oh, daughter,' said the mer merchant, embracing beauty, "'I am almost frightened to death. Believe me, you had better go back.' "'And let me stay here.' "'No, father,' said Beauty, in a resolute tone. "'You shall set out to-morrow morning, and leave me to the care and protection of Providence.' They went to bed, and thought that they should not close their eyes all night, but scarce were they laid down than they fell fast asleep, and Beauty dreamed. A fine lady came and said to her, "'I am content, Beauty, with all your good will. This good action of yours in giving up your own life to save your father's shall not go unrewarded.' Beauty waked and told her father her dream, and though it helped to comfort him a little, yet he could not help crying bitterly when he took leave of his dear child. As soon as he was gone, Beauty sat down in the great hall and fell a-crying likewise. But as she was mistress of a great deal of resolution, she recommended herself to God, and resolved not to be uneasy the little time she had to live, for she firmly believed Beast would eat her up that night. However, she thought she might as well walk about till then, and view this fine castle which she could not help admiring. It was a delightful, pleasant place, and she was extremely surprised at seeing a door over which was wrote, Beauty's Apartment. She opened it hastily, and was quite dazzled with the magnificence that reigned throughout, but what chiefly took up her attention was a large library, a harpsichord, and several music-books. "'Well,' said she to herself, I see they will not let my time hang heavy on my hands for want of amusement. Then she reflected, Were I but to stay here a day, there would not have been all these preparations. This consideration inspired her with fresh courage, and opening the library she took a book, and read these words in letters of gold. Welcome, beauty, banish fear. You are queen and mistress here. Speak your wishes, speak your will. Swift obedience meets them still. Alas! said she with a sigh. There is nothing I desire so much as to see my poor father and to know what he is doing. She had no sooner said this when, casting her eyes on a great looking-glass, to her amazement, she saw her own home where her father arrived with a very dejected countenance. Her sisters went to meet him, and, notwithstanding their endeavours to appear sorrowful, their joy, felt for having got rid of their sister, was visible in every feature. A moment after, everything disappeared." and Beauty's apprehensions at this proof of Beast's complacence. At noon she found dinner ready, and while at table was entertained with an excellent concert of music, though without seeing anybody. 
but at night as she was going to sit down to supper she heard the noise beast made and could not help being sadly terrified beauty said the monster will you give me leave to see you sup that is as you please answered beauty trembling no replied the beast you alone are mistress here you need only bid me be gone if my presence is troublesome and i will immediately withdraw but tell me do not you think me very ugly that is true said beauty for i cannot tell a lie but i believe you are very good-natured so i am said the monster but then besides my ugliness i have no sense i know very well that i am a poor silly stupid creature tis no sign of folly to think so replied beauty for never did fool know this or had so humble a conceit of his own understanding eat then beauty said the monster and endeavour to amuse yourself in your palace for everything here is yours and i should be very uneasy if you were not happy you are very obliging answered beauty i own i am pleased with your kindness and when i consider that your deformity scarce appears yes yes said the beast my heart is good but still i am a monster among mankind says beauty there are many that deserve that name more than you and i prefer you just as you are to those who under a human form hide a treacherous corrupt and ungrateful heart if i had sense enough replied the beast i would make a fine compliment to thank you but i am so dull that i can only say i am greatly obliged to you beauty ate a hearty supper and had almost conquered her dread of the monster but she had liked to have fainted away when he said to her beauty will you be my wife she was some time before she durst answer for she was afraid of making him angry if she refused at last however she said trembling no beast immediately the poor monster began to sigh and hissed so frightfully that the whole palace echoed but beauty soon recovered her fright for beast having said in a mournful voice then farewell beauty left the room and only turned back now and then to look at her as he went out when beauty was alone she felt a great deal of compassion for poor beast alas said she tis a thousand pities anything so good-natured should be so ugly beauty spent three months very contentedly in the palace every evening beast paid her a visit and talked to her during supper very rationally with plain good common sense but never with what the world calls wit and beauty daily discovered some valuable qualifications in the monster and seeing him often had so accustomed her to his deformity that far from dreading the time of his visit she would often look on her watch to see when it would be nine for the beast never missed coming at that hour there was but one thing that gave beauty any concern which was that every night before she went to bed the monster always asked her if she would be his wife one day she said to him beast you make me very uneasy i wish i could consent to marry you but i am too sincere to make you believe that will ever happen i shall always esteem you as a friend endeavour to be satisfied with this i must said the beast for alas i know too well my own misfortune but then i love you with the tenderest affection however i ought to think myself happy that you will stay here promise me never to leave me beauty blushed at these words she had seen in her glass that her father had pined himself sick for the loss of her and she longed to see him again i could answered she indeed promise never to leave you entirely but i have so great a desire to see my father that i shall fret to death if you refuse me that satisfaction i had rather die myself said the monster than give you the least uneasiness 
I will send you to your father. You shall remain with him, and poor Beast will die of grief. No, said Beauty, weeping. I love you too well to be the cause of your death. I give you my promise to return in a week. You have shown me that my sisters are married, and my brother's gone to the army. Only let me stay a week with my father, as he is alone. You shall be there tomorrow morning, said the Beast. But remember your promise. You need only lay your ring on the table before you go to bed, when you have a mind to come back. Farewell, Beauty. Beast sighed as usual, bidding her good night, and Beauty went to bed very sad at seeing him so afflicted. When she waked the next morning, she found herself at her father's, and having rang a little bell that was by her bedside, she saw the maid come, who, the moment she saw her, gave a loud shriek at which the good man ran upstairs, and thought he should have died with joy to see his dear daughter again. He held her fast, locked in his arms, above a quarter of an hour. As soon as the first transports were over— Beauty began to think of rising, and was afraid she had no clothes to put on, but the maid told her that she had just found in the next room a large trunk full of gowns, covered with gold and diamonds. Beauty thanked Good Beast for his kind care, and taking one of the plainest of them, she intended to make a present of the others to her sisters. She scarce had said so when the trunk disappeared. Her father told her that Beast insisted on her keeping them herself, and immediately both gowns and trunk came back again. Beauty dressed herself, and in the meantime they sent to her sisters, who hasted thither with their husbands. They were both of them very unhappy. The eldest had married a gentleman, extremely handsome indeed, but so fond of his own person that he was full of nothing but his own dear self, and neglected his wife. The second had married a man of wit, but he only made use of it to plague and torment everybody, and his wife most of all. Beauty's sisters sickened with envy when they saw her dressed like a princess— and more beautiful than ever, nor could all her obliging affectionate behavior stifle their jealousy, which was ready to burst when she told them how happy she was. They went down into the garden to vent it in tears, and said one to the other, "'In what is this little creature better than us, that she should be so much happier?' "'Sister,' said the eldest, "'a thought just strikes my mind. Let us endeavor to detain her above a week.' and perhaps the silly monster will be so enraged at her for breaking her word that he will devour her. Right, sister, answered the other. Therefore we must show her as much kindness as possible. After they had taken this resolution, they went up and behaved so affectionately to their sister that poor Beauty wept for joy. When the week was expired, they cried and tore their hair and seemed so sorry to part with her that she promised to stay a week longer. In the meantime... Beauty could not help reflecting on herself, for the uneasiness she was likely to cause poor Beast, whom she sincerely loved and really longed to see again. The tenth night she spent at her father's she dreamed she was in the palace garden, and that she saw Beast extended on the grass plot who seemed just expiring, and, in a dying voice, reproached her with her ingratitude. Beauty started out of her sleep and bursting into tears. "'Am I not very wicked?' said she to act so unkindly to Beast that has studied so much to please me in everything. Is it his fault that he is so ugly and has so little sense? He is kind and good, and that is sufficient. Why did I refuse to marry him? I should be happier with the monster than my sisters are with their husbands. It is neither wit nor a fine person in a husband that makes a woman happy, but virtue, sweetness of temper, and complacence— and Beast has all these valuable qualifications. It is true I do not feel the tenderness of affection for him, but I find I have the highest gratitude, esteem, and friendship, and I will not make him miserable. Were I to be so ungrateful, I should never forgive myself. 
Beauty, having said this, rose, put her ring on the table, and then laid down again. Scarce was she in bed before she fell asleep, and when she waked the next morning she was overjoyed to find herself in the beast's palace. She put on one of her richest suits to please him, and waited for evening with the utmost impatience. At last the wished-for hour came. The clock struck nine. Yet no beast appeared. Beauty then feared she had been the cause of his death. She ran crying and wringing her hands all about the palace, like one in despair. After having sought for him everywhere, she recollected her dream and flew to the canal in the garden, where she dreamed she saw him. There she found poor Beast stretched out quite senseless, and, as she imagined, dead. She threw herself upon him without any dread, and finding his heart beat still, she fetched some water from the canal and poured it on his head. Beast opened his eyes, and said to Beauty, "'You forgot your promise, and I was so afflicted for having lost you that I resolved to starve myself. But since I have the happiness of seeing you once more, I die satisfied.' "'No, dear Beast,' said Beauty, "'you must not die. Live to be my husband. From this moment I give you my hand, and swear to be none but yours. Alas, I thought I had only a friendship for you, but the grief I now feel convinces me.' that I cannot live without you. Beauty scarcely had pronounced these words when she saw the palace sparkle with light, and fireworks, instruments of music, everything, seemed to give notice of some great event, but nothing could fix her attention. She turned to her dear Beast, for whom she trembled with fear. But how great was her surprise! Beast had disappeared, and she saw at her feet one of the loveliest princes that I ever beheld, who returned her thanks for having put an end to the charm under which he had so long resembled a beast. Though this prince was worthy of all her attention, she could not forbear asking where Beast was. "'You see him at your feet,' said the prince. "'A wicked fairy had condemned me to remain under that shape till a beautiful virgin should consent to marry me. The fairy likewise enjoined me to conceal my understanding. There was only you in the world generous enough to be won by the goodness of my temper, and in offering you my crown— I can't discharge the obligations I have to you. Beauty, agreeably surprised, gave the charming prince her hand to rise. They went together into the castle, and Beauty was overjoyed to find, in the great hall, her father and his whole family, whom the beautiful lady that appeared to her in, the, in her dream had conveyed thither. Beauty, said this lady, come and receive the reward of your judicious choice. You have preferred virtue before either wit or beauty, and deserve to find a person in whom all these qualifications are united. You are going to be a great queen. I hope the throne will not lessen your virtue, or make you forget yourself. As to you, ladies, said the fairy to Beauty's two sisters, I know your hearts and all the malice they contain. Become two statues, but under this transformation still retain your reason. You shall stand before your sister's palace gate, and be it your punishment to behold her happiness." and it will not be in your power to return to your former state till you own your faults, and I am very much afraid that you will always remain statues. Pride, anger, gluttony, and idleness are sometimes conquered, but the conversion of a malicious and envious mind is a kind of miracle. Immediately the fairy gave a stroke with her wand, and in a moment all that were in the hall were transported into the prince's palace. His subjects received him with joy. He married beauty, and lived with her many years, and their happiness, as it was founded on virtue, was complete. Oh, deep inside my dreams, 
Still hollering back at you, you see I thought you were here with me Seems like everybody's still right Oh, no one knows me half as well As you did that day Oh, no one knows me like you did We could sail away and we're back. Now that everybody's caught up, let's discuss the story. This was always a favorite of mine because of the library that she gets access to in the Disney version. My favorite version from all of the research we have done, though, is the one from Portugal where everybody dies except for two sisters who eventually lose their fortune. I'm a sucker for a good tragedy though. So what are y'all's favorite parts? I connect with beauty on a deep level because I'm also a bookworm and a musician and a stoic and a pragmatist, just like she is. Oh, most definitely. Which of us wouldn't want to live basically in a library? But when I first read this when I was very young, like pre-kindergarten, I was in awe of the magic mirror. I was obsessed with the idea of being able to see the people I loved even when they were far away. Though I think now with our access to technology that makes it possible for us to sit here with me in Texas and Polly in Tennessee and Nat in Puerto Rico and see each other while having a conversation, I don't think the mirror will hold the wonder and magic for future generations reading this story that it had for me. I don't know. With Polly's tech issues right now, magic mirror might work better. Um <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. We grew up in a time, all three of us grew up in a time without even having cell phones. We didn't have internet. We didn't have computers. The newer versions will probably just have a video chat with everyone and the kids will see magic mirrors now and just shrug where the original times it would have been seen as miraculous. I wouldn't mind having a magic mirror sometimes as a parent. I could just pull out my contact and be like, show me my kid and see exactly what they were up to. Not so much now, since they're teenagers and I like to respect their privacy. But when they were younger, before they had their own personal electronics. But yeah, I can see the value of instant visual contact across distances in 1740. Yeah, I use Wi-Fi security cameras just to make sure my birds are okay when I'm at work. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, back in 1740, a magic mirror would have been most wondrous indeed. And powerful if you think about the fighting that was pretty constant during the time. Oddly enough, France wasn't directly involved in a war when this was originally written. They were kind of between wars, but I imagine wars were frequent enough that most people could relate to the concept. Yeah, that's true. So what was y'all's favorite movie versions? I love in the live action where LeFou says something about a certain je ne sais quoi, and Gaston goes, I don't know what that means. I lost it. <laughs> <laughs> Because they were supposed to be French! I just got that! Well, that line also has a built-in <laughs> joke for that. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry! No! <laughs> you know... <laughs> you know... You know, this is, think... you know, this is staying in, right? You <laughs> You know, I think mine would be the opening scene for the Disney version. It just feels like a Broadway production and kind of made me think of the market scene from Brigadoon. I remember seeing it for the first time in the theater with some of my best friends. When it got to the part of the song where the, she was singing, 
Um, it's my favorite part because you see he's where she meets Prince Charming, but she won't discover that it's him till chapter three. And my friends all turned to me in the theater and they went, they made a movie about you. <laughs> they were always teasing me about my tendency to reread favorite books all the time. So when she's describing the book, the first time my dad saw it, he said she must be reading The Princess Bride. So in my head, that has always been the book she is reading in that scene. People make fun about oh, rereading perfect. favorite books, but you don't stop hanging out with people just because you already knew how they grew up or what their favorite food is. Books are my friends. I still want to hang out with them. Yeah, especially if it's the Princess Bride. <laughs> exactly. I always said that rereading was like visiting with old friends, all happy, warm, cozy. I get to where I'm missing my friends, so I read the book again. And with my new found memory issues, I can reread books after two years and I don't even remember what I read before. It's so nice. <laughs> So what do y'all think the original lessons of the story were for the people who were telling the story? Well, there is a strong thread through several of the stories we have read that shows up here again. This idea that it is the virtues of hard work and kindness that will make you truly beautiful and worthy of love. I love her attitude at the beginning when her world falls apart and she's all, if I cry, that isn't going to fix anything might as well decide to find a way to be happy. That's like my motto. There's a song about that. <laughs> Raindrops keep falling on my head. Because <laughs> I'm never going to stop the rain by complaining. <laughs> There's the lesson of sticking to your word. She promised to return. And when she didn't, be suffered. Which for me, as the girl who always loses track of time, that was actually terrifying when I was little. The thought of causing someone pain unto death just because I was late, as usual. My time blindness would have been an issue here, for sure. The stories of the sisters tricking her and sometimes even drugging her do make it worse. I wanted to tie into our last episode because I thought it was humorous that we discussed the book of Esther as a rags to riches from the Bible. And since directly after the book of Esther comes Job... I really found it funny that y'all decided to have this one next where the father loses everything, but Beauty's still happy. And the destruction isn't as complete as Job's troubles, but it just seemed fitting to mention that y'all are doing Bible stories in order. <laughs> no. no worries, Angel. Job just gets skin boils and all of his kids and slaves die. Nobody gets impaled. No impaled. That I read. <laughs> Not going there. So let's move on to what the modern audiences can learn from this story. There is the point of not judging someone on their looks. Beauty never does that. Rather, she takes everyone, even her horrible, selfish sisters, at their best value. So I need to disagree that with that just a tiny bit. Because in some of the older stories, she falls in love with the beautiful prince that's in her dreams and never even pieces together that the prince is the same as the beast because the beast is beastly looking. And even though he's the kind person who is like spending time with her and, and taking care of her, she does not agree to marry him. And it, it, it ends up 
killing him in the end. I don't know. Did she base that on looks or did she base it on species? (laughs) You're right. She's not wrong, though. (laughs) (laughs) I find it very interesting that in the version you read, they never actually describe what the beast looks like. I mean, they use the terms monster and beast and descriptions such as ugly or talk of his deformity. Um, but there's no mention of fangs, horns, and fur like we see in the Disney movie or even in some of the live actions. Well, he's definitely animalistic in some fashion or he wouldn't be referred to as a beast. But more than that is left up to the imagination. Or maybe it's not important because his actions are concerned with beauty's comfort and not his own. Okay. Yeah. He is very polite, but I have to say I know uh, several people who are not actually animalistic that I would definitely refer to as a beast. He also has a very polite, though also creepy, possessive reaction to being friend-zoned. He's all, that's too bad because I love you, but promise you'll never leave me. However, he doesn't do the big dramatic scene. So I have to say that for the past six episodes, y'all have been so lenient on these princes due to spells. And I think you need to cut the beast a little slack since the friend zone literally leads to his death. <laughs> he was always kind in beast and dream form. So Book beast and live action beast were both very polite. You can tell he's well bred. I love the line in the live action Disney where Belle says, oh, you know, author. And he goes, I had an expensive education. <laughs> I like that this story does promote the idea that beauty of the mind and soul is equally as valuable as outer beauty, if not more so. I was always kind of disappointed at the beast transforming into just a boring pretty boy in the end. No, well, you know, looks aren't everything. At least he wouldn't shed so much. (laughs) (laughs) The Disney transformation had me going... Good thing he fought Gaston before he transformed. Boy would not have survived otherwise. (laughs) He might have had an expensive education, but he wasn't a soldier. (laughs) Good point. (laughs) So to close out, what do you think happened after the story? Well, I don't want the traditional happy ending for this one. I don't know why, but it just doesn't fit for me. I want them to be able to just retreat back to their secluded home with the great library and the world just leaves them alone to just be happy. Stop all the must get married to be happy nonsense. Just just leave them alone. <laughs> you just you just want to live in the world with that library. I know where you're coming from. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, but consider the time period. They, they they couldn't possibly have had a physical relationship without being married. You know, what with burning in hell for all eternity? Well, they're French. <laughs> yeah, they're French. They can get away with it. <laughs> I'm going to stick to the ones where they live so that I'm not just singing the worms crawl in, the worms crawl out song to you. So I think... That Beauty went to find the sorceress who cursed the beast so that she could get a charm to turn him back into the beast at will. So she doesn't end up with that badly animated, weird looking dude from the Disney movie all the time. The beast was so much better in that version. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) Well, you know, the the French Revolution happened next. So they did all die (laughs) by beheading. I can hunt down that sorceress and make her hide the castle again. Right? (laughs) If they found the sorceress, I wonder who she turned into the guillotine. (laughs) I think it'd be Mrs. Potts. (laughs) 
no, 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 no. The 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 dresser, the 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 the, the wardrobe that. The one that jumped off of the balcony and for sure killed a man. Yes, her. in an animated <laughs> classic. Like what? No, a bureau just fell on me. I'm fine. Oh my god, no! I don't know. I'm never gonna get that song out of my head all day now. The worms crawl in. The worms crawl out. Your stomach. The worms play tiddlywinks out. on your snout. Yes. Oh. <laughs> no, no, was it, okay, just a second. Did you ever mine, think when a hearse mine. goes by that you might be the next one to die? They wrap you in a clean white sheet and bury you in the ground six feet deep. I think it's so funny how. We have almost the exact same song to the same tune, and there's just these tiny little words that are different. It is all like just just from singing it with different group of kids. Well, my actually, <laughs> my version, the way I sing it, comes from a very old movie that almost nobody has ever heard of, other than me. It's a movie called Picture Mommy Dead, huh. and it's with uh, Zsa Zsa Gabor in it. And the this girl is kind of traumatized and crazy after having seen her mother killed when she was little and everything. And in the end, lots of people get killed. And the girl is walking away from the burning mansion after having killed her stepmother, just like her mother had been killed. Uh And she's singing that song as she's walking away from the burning mansion. If I'd seen that movie, I'd probably learn that one too. But I do love the tiddlywinks on your snout line. That's my favorite one. (laughs) My mother sang that song to me, which might explain a few things. <laughs> mine was mine was probably my aunt Hope. My mom likely too, but I remember for a definite fact it was my aunt Hope that that told me the poem of the little birdie in the snow, broken wing, broken toe, lured him to me with a piece of bread, and then I smashed his little head. That ah, that's thanks to Aunt Hopey. <laughs> My grandmother sang it with the play, the ants playing on your snout, but she had them playing pinochle. Yeah. Yeah, my mother sang The worms pinochle. crawl in, the worms crawl out. Worms play tiddlywinks on your snout. They eat your eyes, they eat your nose, they eat the jelly between your toes. <laughs> you spread it on a piece of bread and that's what you eat when you are dead. <laughs> okay, so mine doesn't go that far because mine stops because the movie stopped. The credits yeah, started the rolling, one. so I didn't get that far. <laughs> I didn't have credits. I I had my family. (laughs) Things were grim back in the day. If you think about like all these people that wonder why all of the nursery rhymes and stuff are about the plague, they're like, oh my God, why were people so grim back then? But look at the memes about COVID. Yeah. Oh yeah. Seriously. Like we're doing that now. It's just that today's culture doesn't do little songs for jumping rope we do memes (laughs) every culture has their own plague the songs are just for tiktok right (laughs) if you're not on tiktok you make memes if you're on tiktok you might have little songs if we still have tiktok though all you need is a vpn kids all you need is a vpn don't worry about it (laughs) thanks for joining us today Check us out on Patreon. You can help us meet our small goal of breaking even and covering our expenses. Your support helps pay for all of the things that podcasting requires and helps keep this show alive and growing. If you can't afford to support us financially, go give us a good review, subscribe or follow, and share with your friends and family. 
Feel free to fact check us and offer suggestions to make our show better for you. You can also send us an email at lostinrevisionpodcast at gmail.com. There's a lot more waiting for us all at the end of the road.